Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. The Lord be with you, Tulare Community Church. It is a delight to connect with you in this way. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. This is your first time worshiping with us or even your first time checking out anything related to church. Let me start by saying welcome. We are so glad that you are here. If you're ready to be known or if you have any questions, please shoot our office an email or give them a call. They'd be delighted to be able to chat with you and to get you connected. Hey, a merry belated Christmas. I hope you're able to come worship with us at our candlelit Christmas Eve service. And I also hope that you are safely able to celebrate the birth of Jesus with your friends and families. Christmas marks a new beginning in a few ways. Beginning of a new year, a few days after, 2020 will be missed by very few, I am sure. Christmas marks the beginning of Jesus' life and ministry while on earth. Christmas also marks the beginning of a new liturgical season, right? We have finished Advent, and it's very possible that you've never heard of this particular season. It's only a couple weeks long, and it isn't given a ton of focus in the Protestant church, but it is worth our attention. It's called Christmas Tide. And if Advent was a season of waiting, of expectation, the season of holding out hope for the birth of the king, then Christmas Tide is the season of get up and go. Uh, we will have a historically short sermon series about Christmas Tide, two weeks long, that we're calling The Wait is Over. And why? Jesus has been born in a manger, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. But after the joy of celebrating Christmas together begins to fade into the background, we are forced to answer the question, now what? Luke 2, verses 22 to 39 will begin to answer that question. Uh, It's a good story. It's a true story. So I invite you to listen closely and to listen well to what it has to say. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And so offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your, your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. 
She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became, became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and we say thanks be to God. Two prophets and a sword. That is the kickoff to our The Wait Is Over season of Christmas Tide. Two prophets and a sword. Our first prophet, Simeon. And our scripture drops us in on a scene in Luke 2 that has a lot of moving pieces. Jesus has been born to Mary, his virgin mother, and to Joseph. He's circumcised on the eighth day of his young life, and then we pick up with Mary and Joseph as they're coming into the temple. They offer either a pair of doves or two young pigeons, too poor to make a sacrifice of a lamb. Now, this is coming on the heels of their child being born in a manger, literally a feeding trough for farm animals. Humble beginnings, certainly, for God incarnate. And as they're going, they run into this righteous and devout guy named Simeon. We're told that the Holy Spirit is on him and has revealed to him that he would not die before he has seen the Messiah. Now, we don't know how old Simeon is. We don't know how long he's been a prophet, but we're, giving an interesting, we're given an interesting nugget of information. It says in verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now the verb there for was waiting is pros decomai, which means literally to await with patience or confidence. As we said, we don't know how long Simeon has been waiting, but we do know that he's got a pretty good thing going with the Holy Spirit. So it's safe to say that confidence is not in short supply. Now, he's led into the temple courts, and Simeon sees the one whom has been prophesied, the child Jesus. I like to imagine Simeon does his own rendition of Lion King as he takes the newborn Savior into his hands and praises God. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now, there's something crazy going on here. This child, likely unable to open his eyes, does not merely represent salvation, but is salvation himself. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation from the endless cycle of sin is this swaddled newborn. The light has come, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, and that light has a name. Okay, we might say, so the now what of this weird Christmas tide thing that you're talking about is that salvation is offered to all people 
regardless of race and ethnicity through the life and subsequent death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Does this mean we can just get back to Sean singing? Well, partially and also not quite. I want to backtrack again to verse 25 when we're introduced to Simeon. And we're told he's waiting, right? Remember prosdecomai. Uh, but interestingly, we're told that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, the word for consolation here is paraclesis, meaning supplication or exhortation. And as I looked up with these words in English, meant for the seventh time, I found that there is actually a worship service in the Eastern Orthodox Church that's called paraclesis. The purpose? The asking or begging for the welfare of the living. Simeon has been waiting for the one who would bring healing, the one who would care for the widow and the orphan, the one who would eliminate caste systems that are based on lineage or race or ethnicity. Simeon has been waiting for the one who would tend to the hungry, to the poor, to the homeless. And as Simeon holds his infants in his arms, Simba style, he knows that the child Jesus is exactly who he's been waiting for. Advent is over. Jesus is alive. Christmas tide is here. The wait is over. And this matters. This incarnational reality means something. It means that God has taken on human flesh, which means that He cares about human flesh. It means God has entered into the world, which means that He cares about the world. God was born into poverty, which means that He has solidarity with the poor. The salvation that the Lord, the God of the Bible, the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit brings is a holistic salvation. Salvation that entails tending to the very real, very tangible, very physical needs of a fallen and sinful world. One of our Reformed confessions tells us that we belong to Christ. And our passage today tells us that Christ is himself salvation. And because we know that, and salvation includes tending to the points of need, tending to the points of pain that we see in the communities that make up our world. Our belonging to Christ means that we are called to, by the Holy Spirit, work to bring about that salvation right here, right now. That looks like Mario Flores going the extra mile to coordinate trainings for men experiencing homelessness about installing laminate flooring to provide tangible, lasting job skills. This looks like Frank Ruiz going above and beyond to raise funds to help cover some of the funeral costs of a friend's deceased family member. This looks like Pastor Steve not allowing any barriers to stop caring for you all literally climbing through windows to provide prayer and consolation. Christ is alive. He is salvation, and we, his church, belong to him. And because we belong to him, we are called to act for him, helping bring about the tangible salvation that Simeon had been waiting for. It's Christmas tide. The wait is over. Verses 36 to 38 say, There is also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. 
She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna is our second prophet. And based on the cultural milieu of the time, it's very possible that Anna had been living as a widow for nearly 60 years. Anna is devout. She is faithful. She is steadfast. And like Simeon, she has been waiting for a long time. Also like Simeon, the Greek word that Luke uses for looking forward is also prosdecamai. With Anna, who has perhaps spent the last six decades at the temple, we can lean towards the patience side of that definition. Our second prophet, though, differs from our first in a very unique way. Verse 38 says, Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna is waiting for redemption. Luke uses the Greek word lutrosis, lutrosis, meaning a ransoming, a redemption, deliverance from sin. Up to this point, Israel had had a pretty bumpy path, right? This is God's chosen nation, his chosen people. He's freed them from slavery. He provided for them as they wandered in the wilderness. He's raised up leader after leader, performed miracles, defeated Israel's enemies. And yet... Books of the Old Testament, like Second Chronicles, shows us the truly remarkable stubborn-heartedness of the Israelites. The cycle is one we all know quite well, right? God provides something amazing. The Israelites appreciate for a moment, seek after other lowercase g gods and other idols, turn their backs on the Lord, end up shooting themselves in the foot as a result, and come limping back to the Lord, asking for forgiveness before the whole process starts all over. Lather, rinse, repeat. And if we're honest with ourselves, with each other, and with God, we can relate to this cycle. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then you have at least tasted the wonder of God's grace. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then you have also been confronted with your own inability to live indefinitely in that grace. None of us are as righteous as the Apostle Paul, as he is quick to let us know. And even that dude says, said, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. We want to live as God desires. We even feel like we do for a little while, and then our attention, it wanes. We get tired, get in a spat with our spouse, get irritated with a coworker. Then our favorite idols find their way into our periphery, or... Maybe they were always at least in the periphery, and now they're front and center. Online shopping, the outlet mall, a drink to take the edge off, videos on the internet, a Saturday come and gone in front of the TV, another drink. Anna has been waiting for what we all know that we need, redemption. And not just redemption, but lutrosis, deliverance from sin, a ransoming. Anna knows that St. Paul, St. Augustine, Martin Luther, John Knox, John Calvin, St. Teresa of Avila all knew after her, we need help. 
And that help doesn't come from Enneagram podcasts or self-help books or from the latest diet that only allows you to eat the food from your own literal backyard because that seemed like a good idea to a guy in a CrossFit box. No. That help comes from a person. Not only a person, but a child. Not only a child, but a child who was born in an emptied-out food trough whose family was too poor to make the proper sacrifice at the temple. A child who would grow up to develop a following to make statements so audacious as to place himself as equal to the creator of the universe. A child who would grow up to face persecution and violence as a result of the insecurities of religious leaders. A child who would grow up never once committing a sin, the first human being in the history of the world to do so, but who would still die a brutal, painful, suffocating death on a cross. Help comes from a child who would grow up to ransom his own life to pay for the sins of a broken, fallen world. A child who would grow up to sacrifice his own life as a ransom for my sins and for your sins. This child is the help that Anna has been waiting for. This child is redemption. The wait is over. Redemption is alive. Redemption is a person. And that person's name is Jesus. When we believe in him as the living, breathing Messiah, as Anna did, our lives are redeemed. Christmas tide alerts us to this incarnational reality. Jesus has been born, and his life changes everything. But those changes can be painful and, dare I say, dangerous. Christmas tide brings with it our final point a sword. As we wrap up, look with me at verses 33 to 35 that say this. Child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now, most of us have heard of the Chronicles of Narnia. But what you might not know is that the Chronicles of Narnia are a series of several books. In Voyage of the Dawn Shredder, uh, Lucy and Edmund are traveling with an annoying little boy named Eustace. Eustace is an only child. He's spoiled. He's also a little scared. Comes across as arrogant, self-righteous, but he hides behind this veneer of modernity, faux maturity, on a voyage aboard the Dawn Shredder, this great boat, the crew arrives at a strange island. And, and Eustace, he gets separated from the others. And he awakens one morning to realize he's been turned into a dragon. He cannot speak, can barely communicate, and he panics. He's covered in scales and he tries to rip them off with his newfound claws. But no matter how hard he tries, he can never get deep enough and, and the scales just grow back. Effort after futile effort, and, and Eustace finally gives up. But standing before him is Aslan, the lion. Aslan says that only his claws can dig deep enough to cleanse Eustace of his scales. But Eustace is afraid. He's terrified that he will be badly injured. 
Of course it will hurt, Aslan responds, but the pain will not last forever, and only through the pain will you be healed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Friends, Christmas time reminds us that Jesus' birth changes everything, and some of those changes will be painful. When we recognize Jesus as the truth, when he takes the central point in our lives, other parts of our lives will die. In fact, if they don't, then the truth of the gospel has not yet taken precedence over the idols that wearily hold the attention of our hearts. We cannot follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior and hold back any parts of ourselves. Scripture says this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Christ's lordship demands all of ourselves and that will hurt. Like Aslan's claws, the the sword of the gospel will cut through the scales that have hidden that we have hidden behind. And the parts of our stories, our sins, the secrets that we prefer to hide in the dark will be exposed to the light. Jesus' life changes everything. And those changes hurt, just flat out. But listen to how Eustace's story ends. It says, The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. When he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab off a sore place, it hurts like Billy O, but it is fun to see it coming away. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I would no skin on. And he threw me into the water. Smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And after that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I'd turned into a boy again. Christmas tide reminds us that Christ is the prophesied salvation. That our redemption is in person, and that his life, salvation of Jesus, the embodied redemption will change everything, and that change will hurt, but it is also what our hearts most long for. St. Augustine famously said to God that our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Find the rest, the redemption, The salvation that your heart so desperately craves, no matter how it might hurt. And begin now, for our wait is finally over. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.